Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Anticipation is the act of looking forward, a feeling of excitement about something pleasant or exciting that you know is going to happen. I have read that for Luke, significant events have antecedents, causes, and preparation, and that the church has learned from Luke in this regard and holds its two central celebrations, Easter and Christmas, only after weeks of preparation. The second Sunday in Advent, we wait, leaning forward into expectation, the assurance of the greatness that is to become, and we prepare. We meet again John the Baptist, the prophet of the Most High, to go before the Lord, to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation by forgiveness of sins, all this done by the mercy of our God. Luke places John the Baptist securely in time historically by establishing those who were in political and religious power of the day. The reign of the emperor Tiberius, and the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. But the word of God came not to the perceived power structures, but to John, the son of Zechariah. The word of God did not come to the power in Rome or in Jerusalem. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. The Interpreter's Bible describes John in this way. He lived for years in the solitudes of the desert, alone but not lonely, for he had companionship in eternal things. There in the open spaces, he watched great stars blaze in the untroubled sky. There, apart from the clamor of men, he kept the vigil of his own meditation and his prayer. There, with no chatter of the crowd to listen to, he could hear the voice of God. And when he came into the Jordan Valley and began to preach on the verge of the river, where the stream of traffic went back and forth, it's no wonder that those who heard him were arrested. In this man's speech, there's a note which they had never heard before. It had the blazing and shadow, shadowless intensity of the desert at noonday. It was plain that here was a man whose soul was on fire with a flame that came from a source that is higher than the earth. He had gained his convictions not by piecing together little scraps of human shrewdness and probabilities. He gained those convictions from a direct communion of his soul with the reality 
of the living God. The word of God came to the son, came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. The wilderness seems like an unlikely place for the word of God. The wilderness is unfamiliar. It's uncomfortable, generates a little fear, and few of us actually choose to go into the wilderness, although most of us find ourselves there at some time in our life. Yet in the light of the Exodus story, the wilderness in the biblical writings often represents vulnerability and uncertainty, a place of testing and of hunger, and sometimes danger or destruction or being lost and then found. It is precisely in that wilderness place of vulnerability and danger that God appears. Just as God guided the Israelites by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire at night, God provides what is needed in the wilderness, such as the daily manna or a feast for the multitude. The wilderness is where God's people learn to be dependent on God. It is in the wilderness that God does something transformative, renewing or inspiring. Throughout the story of God's salvation, we find examples of God using the wilderness times to bring about renewal, rebirth, clarity, and purpose. The purpose of John's prophetic calling is not only to prepare the way of the Lord, but to prepare the people to receive the Lord through the repentance of the forgiveness of sin. He went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. In its original context, Isaiah 40 refers to the return from exile in Babylon. The physical road of that journey is a rough one, requiring tra travel over a long period, a long distance, and with difficult topography. The journey for the return was also a metaphorical challenge for the Israelites as they had been changed by the experience of exile. And now we're returning to a home that was also changed. Through Isaiah's prophecy, God promises to prepare them for the journey to smooth the way for their return to life in the promised land. Not only do raised up valleys and flattened mountains lead to a smooth passage, but they also represent a radical transformation. Again, we hear this language of repentance, to change one's mind, to turn around, causing a new and radical view. For the Israelites, Nothing looked the same. Everything was changed. This was a world set right by being turned on its head, not from the top down, 
that is often the human's prized positions, but it is the upside-down power of God. Today, having experienced the wilderness-level trauma of a global pandemic for nearly two years now, many people long for the certainty about the road ahead. Some hope for new life, and others ache to return to the way things were. And still others have little energy to look beyond the struggles of the current day. So very little is said and is certain about the post-pandemic world, except, except for the promise represented by John's proclamation in the wilderness. God enters this time and this space in this period of history so that all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So that all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So it is the church that becomes that voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the Lord's way. It is the church to be proclaiming repentance for forgiveness of sins. It is the church that brings down the lofty, those self-absorbed, aggrandized opinions of ourselves. It is to lift up the lowly, to feed the hungry, quench the thirst, visit the prisoners, and care for the lost. It is Paul that reminds us to pray with joy, not for the people I like, but for all people, for all people. Just as, just as Paul reminds us that we are to be about the sharing of all gifts, the sharing in the sense of being in concern for the well-being of others, by acting out that sharing, doing, acting on behalf of others, Isaiah's imagery becomes important here as Luke uses it to describe John's passion. Differences that hinder the realization of God's vision are to be equalized, leveled out. Just as the crooked paths are to be made straight, the valleys filled, and the mountains leveled, and the rough ways made smooth. In short, barriers that stand between all flesh and God's way for the world must be dismantled. Only in this way will Jesus' vision of God's realm be made real in this world. The barriers of race, ideology, class, gender, education, and yes, even religion. These hurdles are to be overcome on the way to the reconciliation that is promised in and by Christ. So as we begin this week of anticipation and preparation, we must ask ourselves, how are we breaking down barriers in our own lives?
barriers both spiritual and practical. Can we, like John, go into the world proclaiming repentance for the forgiveness of sins for all flesh, ourselves and others? Can we offer to those in the wilderness the word of hope that all will be made new? The rough places made smooth and the crooked made straight for all flesh. For all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Amen.